Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm going to give this episode an E rating in case you haven't noticed that already. Jay Hogwood and I are good buddies and we're talking about sex, but it's a really casual conversation. So there is some language that might not be for all ages. I want you to make that choice. So I'm going to put this word up front and then I invite you to enjoy this episode and let us know what you think about purity culture. Welcome to Beyond Religion, a podcast about unconfined spirituality. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lott. I have no idea where all of this is going or for how long, but I'm committed to at least 12 episodes, 10 of which are conversations with friends and colleagues who are also asking big and beautiful questions about spirit, energy, divinity, the universe, elves, magic, truth, you name it. We're on a journey. And I hope you'll join us as we consider spirituality beyond religion. Today's episode of Beyond Religion is going to be a little different from the first three. A lot of what I'm getting at really is chasing the notion of the water beyond the vessel, the ocean instead of the cup. How do we move toward expansive spirituality and away from restrictive religion? But part of that process for many of us involves acknowledging where religion has caused harm. And not only that, but where the wounds are on and in our bodies. One of the worst offenders is purity culture within the Christian church. I know there are purity cultures within Judaism and Islam and Mormonism, but those are not my traditions. I don't want to approach this conversation as an outsider who did some Google research and now wants to point fingers at someone else's experience. I know enough from my own to tell the truth, so that's what we'll do today. In her book, Shameless, Nadia Bowles-Weber writes, Religion is not the only source of harmful messages about sex and the body. In American culture, as in the church, sex is a big deal. The broader culture bombards us with its commodification of sex, its own demeaning ideas about our value and currency. It draws its own small circle around, for instance, those human bodies that are deserving of desire. But I will not indulge in the sin of false equivalency. To admit that both the church and our culture can cause harm is not the same as saying the harm from both is equivalent. It is not. Because as harmful as the messages from society are, what society does not do is say these messages are from God. The common messaging from evangelical teaching was that salvation had to be earned by goodness, by purity, by struggle and suffering. You, O mortal, are too wretched for God to encounter and know without a whole lot of earning blessing and fighting to keep it. And when you grow up hearing that message from all kinds of sources, it's going to mess you up in ways you'll still be figuring out in your 40s and 50s. Which brings me to today's guest. My guest today is a colleague who has become one of my very dearest lifelong kind of friends, the Reverend Dr. Jay Hogwood. Jay is the senior pastor of Rain Memorial United Methodist Church in New Orleans. Prior to moving to New Orleans in 2017, he served as pastor of several churches in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Jay received his BA in English and History from Sanford University in Birmingham. This is where we have a lot of overlap and we'll settle for a little while in our conversation today. He completed his MDiv at Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor. His PhD is in Hebrew Bible and Theological Hermeneutics from Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University. All that to say... He's no slouch, this guy. Jay is also uniquely gifted at making you feel like you are the most important person he has ever met. And he will introduce you to everyone else, the waiter, the neighbor in the street, his wife, his kids, his dogs, pretty much anyone who will listen, that you are the absolute best and most gifted and most brilliant at whatever thing he has noticed you do exceptionally well. And he'll say it so often and so genuinely that you begin to think he just might be onto something. That is a gift of authentic friendship that so few people possess. 
I'm such a lucky one to experience Jay in real life. And now I'm delighted for you, dear listener, to hear from the one and only Jay Hogwood. So, Jake, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's good to be here Enjoy. in your office for the first time. Yeah. That's a weird thing. We don't really hang out in each other's spaces in that kind of way. No, we homes, pastor yes. friends, yes. Homes, thank the Lord, but not in our Yeah, I guess space. I'd rather do that anyway, when you put it that way. I agree. Well, welcome to my office, and um, let's talk about how we were raised in a cult. That's where we're going to kick things off. Uh, We were raised in the biggest cult in the world that has actually taken over public office and public policy. Mm. And I want to talk about the purity cult of evangelicalism. But before we go too far, tell me about your earliest memories of either religion or God or spirituality, the oneness. What is one of those early times that you remember some kind of kinship and connection to something bigger than yourself. Oh, I remember vividly in an LTD wagon, mustard color, in 1978-79, I would have been eight or nine, with my brother and my sister, older and younger, respectively, driving back from Brookwood Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And one of the only times my parents, particularly my father, overtly keyword there overtly formed my spirituality he did in many other ways right dad if you're listening uh but overtly began to teach us the lord's prayer oh wow began to teach us the lord's prayer and it was almost it felt like a challenge as i recall it now this would have been 48 years ago (laughs) 48 years ago dad so it was before my parents divorce taught us began to teach us the lord's prayer wow Huh. Have not thought of that in a long time. That's wild. Monty, my dad, was uh, extremely, and is still extremely faithful. And I know that more now than I would have at eight. But I remember that, and I remember the only other time, in a healthy way, that connection with the divine. Is that the frame for the question? I remember driving... It's always in a car. Driving across the Cahaba River, going home from Shays Valley High School after a soccer match. And the sun was setting in such a way, and I was crossing over, and it was a good day. Who knows? Good match. I don't know. But something assured me of deep peace related to the anxiety and apprehension of my mom's relationship with my then stepfather. And that was again a vivid memory it was a couple seconds maybe 30 seconds total but when you just get that feeling sensation and so so now i would language it in my methodist turn of life uh a strange warming Mm. of my heart and all of these memories are happening in and around birmingham alabama correct is that where you spent all of your growing up years yeah, yeah. So from 75, 76 to 94. Except from before I was born. Yes. <laughs> I am an old man. I only look 83. Not that much before I was born. I was 77, oh, so I'm God. in there somewhere. But 77. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yes, yes, true. Geographically, Birmingham. Okay, Birmingham and then to where? Birmingham and then two years in, in Greenville, South Carolina, at Furman. Oh. So went there freshman. Okay, so years. but you're so your growing up years were all Birmingham. Correct. So we'll get third to college. Grade, third grade on. Third grade on. Where were you born? Charlotte. How do I not know Isn't that? Isn't that weird? All the all the Hogwoods are okay. really North Carolinian. Okay. And we were the offshoot that went west to Birmingham. Interesting. <laughs> okay, and you were raised Baptist in both of those places. Correct. So your memories are in Baptist churches. Absolutely. How significantly was your life shaped around Christianity and church attendance in those years? It must have been pretty significant if your dad's teaching you the Lord's Prayer yeah, in the park. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, yeah, I, you know, um, faithful, not religious. <laughs> we did not go religiously. And then when my parents divorced in 80, 81, 82, it was a, it was a fissure or fracture. But we continued to go with dad. And then dad's wife over the years uh, to Brookwood Baptist. So, and you know, that context, Elizabeth, it was one of those churches early on that was 
beginning to feel out the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, yeah. SBC, to what does it look like to be in a different missional movement. Yeah. Um, but yes, my mom ended up going to another Baptist church, and so, but we were the weekends with my dad, so the answer to that question is yes, pretty active. I was very reluctant to go into the youth group because they were all from another high school. Mm. They were a rich one. Yeah. And I was not. Yeah. And while Sarah Jackson at the time, we both know Sarah Jackson Shelton, did a very good job of welcoming all of us who didn't go to Mountain Brook. Um, It was hard. Yeah. Just, you know. Well, so 8081, it was still a little scandalous to be getting divorced in church. Yes. Was that was that a, a part of it at all? No, was really? there any kind of No, that's a great question. Second class no, no, no. citizen anything going on? No. Uh, I'm thinking back thinking back to dad and mom's conversations with us over the years. I suspect it was not easy, but now I'm sort of projecting or uh, retrojecting. Um I think Brookwood because that's the only example I know made it as loving a place as possible yeah in hindsight as a child of the divorce to be clear right well i ask because i remember and probably what it would have been 90 or 91 at first baptist mobile where i was growing up we were hiring um we were hiring a Minister, I say we, like I had anything to do with that. I was in high school, but um, they were, the church was hiring a minister of education, maybe right. was the role, associate pastor, minister of ed. Right, right. And he was divorced and had remarried okay. and had two sons from his first marriage, a daughter in the second marriage, hmm. and was very delicately speaking about all of that in his interview process. Yeah. And I can remember as a teenager thinking, He's being weird about this. Why is he being weird about this? Why does he feel like he has to tell us all this stuff? You felt it. I felt that. And so then I I had to ask my mom at home, why is he having to go around and tell us all his business? And she was saying, well, in a lot of churches, it would be a really big deal that we're hiring a minister who was divorced. And that that just blew my mind. And and that to me is kind of introduction to... Yeah. Some of that purity culture oh, yeah. stuff of, Agreed. you know, if now you're tarnished, can you still be employable? Uh, right. A question yeah, for later. Indeed. Or, and, and even called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If the two are differentiated. Well, depending on how literal people were getting about being a husband of one wife and all of that oh, stuff. God, yeah. Right. right. Well, I associate purity cult teaching with church youth groups. So it's funny to mm. me that I know your youth minister. I didn't even think about that mm-hmm. until you said her name just a minute ago. I remember even in my somewhat moderate Baptist church, which right. mine was, we, we also were part of that early cooperative Baptist movement. Um, yeah, my, my pastor growing up was on the first coordinating council of CBF. Wow. So I remember hearing the battles from that side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also remember being in youth group in high school and watching Josh McDowell videos. And we had some kind of workbook that we were supposed to fill out about Uh, the dangers of lust and the dangers of uh, making out. I felt like youth leaders were forever talking about sex, even more maybe than the teenagers were. (laughs) And uh, that was true at summer camp. And I spent a lot of time going to friends' churches. So even if I was not in a fundamentalist context, it was was all around me. Yeah, it's like the way Flannery O'Connor talked about the South being Christ Christ haunted. haunted, I feel like my South was fundamentalist haunted, even if I wasn't in there. Agreed, Um, even though we were separated by, what, three and a half, four hours up I-65. Yeah. Same similar to me although my formation was not as much youth group at all as opposed to um fca and oh oh, yeah uh uh, uh, just forgive me that was later young life there you go i i interrupted forgive me no i have a young life story coming in here too that yeah like so so even if we ourselves were in this sort of centrist baptist bubble yeah yeah fair we're the water that's around us is pretty conservative and that teaching is bubbling up oh yeah even if our primary sources of education though the josh mcdowell thing was happening in my home church but there weren't there were never going to be sermons happening yeah that were that had any of that rhetoric okay um but i still remember going to church with a friend for one of those, which it doesn't matter, Disciple Now Weekend. Oh, the DNA. So, yeah, so yeah. I, went with, I went to church with a friend for Disciple Now Weekend, and I remember hearing a minister say that we should never kiss lying down 
because it would just basically be impossible at that point to not have sex and you would no longer be in a position physically and yeah like you're just be would be so swept up at that point that once you're horizontal you can't undo you, it you can't get back up that there was something very much about that specific position i remember him warning against yeah. so it was like being in the 80s when you were like all of the war- drug warning lessons oh, that were gosh, going on in yeah. school okay. and they would say like you smoke that first joint and it's going to be baby. the gateway to shooting uh, heroin yeah. in the back Probably alley 24 hours later um and th- so one kiss that lasted too long or was in the uh, wrong wow, position yeah is basically like your clothes are just flying off and you can't control it anymore. If only. Yeah. So I wonder, what are some of those first lessons you remember hearing in church Uh about not trusting your body, Mm -hmm. learning to fear it? Because there was a lot of fear in that once you cross this line, something's going to take over and it's bad. Yeah, that's a, oh, wow. It's hard to unpack because I am to this day at 52 a, a parent of, of children, 26 and almost 24, convinced that there was a dearth, uh, maybe even a void, of human sexuality biblically interpreted at, at church for me. My main formation, Elizabeth, was cultural milieu. And I have even asked my siblings um, and my parents over the past couple of years. Hey, so why did I pick up this strain of guilt and shame related to really any healthy, originally, healthy activity of curiosity, kissing? Mm-hmm. I didn't kiss, I've kissed a handful of, in my example, women in my life. I can name them all. There are five of them some better timing than others. And I don't fault church, but in hindsight as a pastor now for quite a few years, I do want to, and I think I have acted on, being a little more vocal about the goodness, the beauty, the fun that is human sexuality in you know age-appropriate yeah. settings, I, I think. Um, so uh, all of this to say young life, and culturally in Birmingham, I picked up what I think my brother and sisters didn't, at least not to the degree I did, degree I did which was really deep uh, anti-curiosity, anti-beauty um, and goodness of what would, uh, now I know, and probably even then knew in some ways, a healthy sexuality. My friends were kissing you know, others and having fun by ninth, 10th, 11th grade. And I was scared. Yeah. I was just flat out scared. And the derivative of that was um, a, a lot of bad things later in life. Do you remember anything specific from Young Life or, or Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Any specific lessons that they were warning you yeah. about? Yeah, XYZ? I mean, I, I, think, I think it was always this sense of, it, once you get to, um, once you get past kissing, while kissing is fine, I've never really thought or I don't know that I heard about the position, um, <laughs> positioning horizontal. Uh, but once you started feeling, uh, in this example, I mean, as a straight guy, I'll speak in that that way, um, feeling, you know, a, a, a woman's boobs or, or beneath the belt, as it were, into the underwear. It was most certainly wrong. And so why even play with the the, the fuel to the fire that is yeah. kissing if you're not really serious in this? And in fact, from, I think, my memory of Young Life and Student Stampede, Campus Crusade, right? Heavily formed, <laughs> that even then, kissing it would call to question if this person isn't the kind of or the person you're going to marry, yeah. you ought not mess with that. That's right. So it was really, really strongly linked to marriage, even Dude. when you're talking to 13-year-olds. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, no, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's exactly my memory and re- recollection. And so thus, in our stories, and I can't speak for you, but I know enough. I know in mine, i got to get married. Yeah. And then, of course, Paul's uh, sa- 
sadly, tragically misinterpreted, I think, you know, better to marry than to burn. Yeah. How many times did I hear that? Or, or Elizabeth, I, I might have heard it once or twice. And then for me, I magnified that yeah. and amplified that in my little head. Yeah. Well, that leads me exactly where I want to mm. go next. Mm. Um, so Pete Holmes' book, Comedy, Sex, God. I've read it. You've read it. Yes. It's been a while. And so I've been yeah. looking back through it over the past few days. And I want to read, if if you'll indulge me, yes. a, a few passage or a, one long passage here um, from the chapter called The Technical Virgin. The Technical Virgin. Let me ask you this for you. Because yeah. that feels familiar, right? Everything that I just shared. Oh, 100%. Okay. Hey, I'm not out there in Looney Bin. Not at all. Okay. Oh, no. Not at all. 100%. That's all familiar. I'm going to read this because it's about Pete's experience in church youth group. Okay, good, good. Um, but no, I'll... I have many stories of my own, Um, though I wasn't in a context where we were signing a pledge or getting a ring. I knew people who were. Again, it was in the water around me, but that was not. um, Straightway what you were getting. Yeah. The main thing the main thing I remember getting was just don't do it. I remember a young life leader who was part of a conservative abstinence-only education mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. coming to my high school. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. we all thought he was so cool. And so we're like, sure. oh, my gosh, he's here. And so he's doing this lesson. So this man yes. is teaching us girls. It, I know that it was gendered and, it, and we got separated. Yes. And the image he gave us was that if you are giving yourself away in sex, which was very much how it was framed sure. for women, that, that if, if the woman is giving herself away, she's yes. just a whore. So oh, every time you whore yourself, yeah. then you are, um, what's the word? Diminishing your goodness. Uh-huh. He is, so he ended up saying it's like a Band-Aid. That the first time you put the Band-Aid uh, on, it's going to stick. This metaphor. And then every time you take it the off analogy, and try to yes. stick it again. Yes. And who wants to marry uh, an, a used up Band-Aid? So many thoughts on that real quick. Because to me, it's like, if I'm going to be slut-shamed, God, let me be a slut first. Yeah. I haven't even done God anything. Almighty. You've already told me. Give me I'm, that, I'm right? total shit. And then yeah. the other thought of, of the gendering that occurs. Yeah. And, and, of course, Young Life, it was like the pharmaceutical reps of Christian <laughs> Evangelicalism, <laughs> because tell me if one of those damn people wasn't just absolutely they're all hot. good looking, men, they're women, all good looking, they're, they're all sporty, so fine, yeah. so fine. Uh, yeah, they all play guitar and go hiking. <laughs> they can sing yeah. and gleaming, gleaming people. I did nice own ass. some Vasque sundowners for a little while because I wanted to be able to like play the part, but I was and never that, cool enough. That was in your public school, yes? No, it was private school. Okay, so interestingly, yeah. the last thought here before Pete Holmes. That's in my public high school okay. in Jefferson County, Alabama. Sure. Right? Because in Jefferson County, Alabama, what's the difference? Yeah. Fair. <laughs> it's all. I pray that it's different now, but I, I know. I do too. Probably. But I think that some of what I, I mean by in the intro, I said yeah. the, that we were raised in this cult yeah. that is so mainstream yeah. that it has taken over public office yeah, and public right policy. On, right on. Because we've got in Florida right now yeah. books being taken off the shelves yeah. because it's DeSantis's Florida, um, and yes. drag queens have been yeah. banned in Tennessee. So it's it's some of that same yeah. fear of if they have access to this, if yeah. they see this, we're going to lose our control. We're yeah. going to we're going to lose our influence. Yes. Or what? I don't yes. know what the ultimate fear there is. No, um, I, no, and I don't either. But I think you've you've said the word a few times, and I couldn't agree more in my own existential and thus theological formation, fear, yeah. fear over sexuality. And the last thought I promise is this, is that then the buildup for marriage and sex in marriage is an absolutely unattainable yeah. fiction. Yeah. Even if the most healthy sex, it's going to be like this whole, uh, you know, uh, paradise that is so unrealistic and so unfair. In my example for yeah. my spouse, yeah. To 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 maintain that to how how yeah does you, you've you've just been told no how do you know we're gonna get there yeah sorry but we're gonna Literally. start first with Pete and his youth yes, group yes. okay so listen to this and then let's chat a little bit about it along with the all the good stuff the God created the heavens and the earth stuff the mm. Jesus loves you stuff came a few other ideas <laughs> in church less. Fun beliefs. For example, like a lot of evangelicals, I was taught that sex is a beautiful gift from the Lord. 
I was also taught, like a lot of evangelicals, that if you open that gift before your wedding night, mm. you would burn in a lake of fire for all eternity, <laughs> right. trading the moist heat of a human vagina for the dry heat of eternal damnation. <laughs> I got this idea from Sunday school, not from my family. Mm. My parents found the evangelical church in their late 30s, and as a result, they were more open and loving about sex, having mm. had their share of normal premarital relations and the grace and understanding for their children that comes along with them. Nice. As a result, they didn't take sex too seriously, but the church had other ideas. One Sunday when I was about 14, I found myself sitting on a folding chair in our church's gymnasium facing a high-energy man, our junior high youth pastor. He had announced that we were going to talk about sex, so I was excited because I'd only heard good things. His sermon started out relaxed as he spoke Volunteers walked into the rows of chairs and handed out little green cards so we could know our limits. It seemed pretty fun, actually. The idea was for us to set our sexual boundaries before we were in the heat of the moment and did something foolish. Up top, the card said, what are you willing to do before marriage? And below, there was this checklist. Mm. Hand-holding, hugging, kissing, French kissing, Mm. Buttocks touching. Buttocks. Breast fondling. Outer course. Oh, my. Oral sex, sexual intercourse. I was a kid, so after I stopped giggling at words like fondling and outer course, (laughs) I filled out my card honestly, putting a little check mark against everything except sexual intercourse. Mm. I had heard around church that sex before marriage was bad, but everything else sounded fair game, so why not? I mean, buttocks touching? That sounded particularly intriguing. Do we touch buttocks with our hands, or do we touch our buttocks together? Buttocks (laughs) on buttocks? I wasn't sure, but I checked it, hopeful of a day soon. Soon I would find out. I felt pretty good about my choices until I peeked at the card of my church friend, Joe. Mm. He was the youth group dreamboat. If anyone was going to be faced with these decisions in the real world, mm. it was going to be him. But he had checked nothing. Mm. Nothing, not even hand-holding. I couldn't believe it. Suddenly I felt ashamed. There I was in church holding concrete proof that I was a degenerate horn dog with (laughs) aims to fornicate the first chance I got. I would have rather been holding a hot turd. (laughs) Maybe I could say I misunderstood the exercise and checked all the things I wouldn't do, or I could run home. Was I too late to pretend I didn't speak English? I was in a panic. In the end, I bit the bullet and threw my card away, scribbling all over it and asking for a new one. Mm. This time, I got it right. I knew now that the exercise wasn't about how much you would do. Mm. It was about how much you wouldn't do. So I checked nothing except for hand-holding, so as to not draw too much attention to the fact that I had copied Joe's answers. Then just like that, I felt amazing. The Mm. opposite of shame. It was the rush of Christian conformity. Mm. I was in the club and had the correctly checked card to prove it. I wanted so badly to be a good kid. And there that Sunday, I was given actual tangible proof that Mm. I was decent and holy and not at all interested in touching my naked butt against a girl's naked butt if the opportunity ever presented itself. (laughs) Pete Holmes, I love you. I want to meet you. He's going to be here Friday night. I feel like we should just go like look for him. No doubt. Yeah, he's going to be at the Civic. Oh, so by the time this airs, Pete will have already been here. Oh, so maybe we're maybe we're good friends with Pete. Pete I would by touch Sunday. your buttocks, pal. <laughs> yes. Anyway. But I mean, Truth. doesn't that break your heart for little Pete sitting there and realizing it was a trap? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think so, and I, and I think that's what while that like we've talked about. Here, Elizabeth, while that is not exactly my experience, it just all feels so familiar. And it feels so familiar uh, under the guise of Christianity, discipleship. And so what pains me now, and probably not until about age 35, 36, 37, was this dawning of like how warped I was in mm-hmm. in spiritual formation related to human sexuality right does that make sense yeah absolutely um i, I think one of the things so i had that same fear in high school for sure yeah. um 
but one of the things that I realized now stayed with me the most was this deep sense of shame. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll move on to marriage in a little bit. I want us to go through college first though. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but it has been in my forties that I'm realizing, Oh, there's still a lot of that in there. Yeah. There's still yeah. this, um, this push pull of wanting to be seen and yeah. noticed and affirmed. Yeah. And then that dirtiness of, yeah, don't look at me. Don't see me. Mm. I, I don't want to be seen like this. I want to be the Madonna. I want to uh, be the matron, the the virgin, all of those yeah. things. Something and, like a veneer of purity, a veneer yeah. of uh, a holiness, if you will. Well, and, and I think that the, the way sex was talked about so much for women in particular yeah, yeah. was either you are pure or you are a whore. I mean, I used that word earlier because yeah. that's the messaging I yeah. feel like I got. No, I, well, I appreciate that because then, then we're inviting ourselves to some some bipolar disorder and forgive the, you know, psychosocial. I don't mean it in any way ugly other than like the condition, the context of the either or. And I think this is a spirituality I know we've talked about before. Roar, Richard Rohr comes to my mind. This idea of what crushes us is where there is no space for grace Mm -hmm. and where there's no space for grace there is in fact the binary of either or either or and it's not it's just i think you'd agree i mean it's not healthy so i'm going in another direction there but i mean i'll say from a guy's perspective as a guy um hard-ons right i mean you're you're getting them you're getting them all the time because you're growing and the hormones are happening and and they're you can't control them and so i remember vividly to this day not just the embarrassment of you're in third, you know, third period geometry. That's bad enough. But even thinking I'm gross, mm. even thinking like what's wrong with me. Yeah. And some of that, of course, is the awkwardness anyway. But I remember, I, TMI maybe, but since we're here, I remember praying in college for a wet dream. I kid you not, I just mm. said that for some release. Yeah. Which leads us to masturbation, if you want yeah, to go there. Yeah, that's totally where we're yeah, about right. to go. We're totally about to go there. Um, and then, so I'm back to Pete, and, and this one's a little bit shorter. So this is, oh, what is this chapter called? Oh, it's the same chapter, Technical Virgin, but now we're at the end of the chapter. From that moment on, so he's talked with his friends, mm. and then he's gone to his youth pastor, because mm. he's talking to his friends about masturbation, yeah. and... <laughs> which ones are doing it and which ones are not and what they think it is and what, what, mm. where they're wrong. Yeah. And he goes to his youth minister because he's terrified that maybe he's no longer a virgin. Mm, I forgot this part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the, the youth minister pauses and says, well, technically, yeah, I guess you still are. But, oh. but his response indicates you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, wow. So one more, add it to the list of things oh, you should not be doing. Wow. From that moment on, I understood the conditional nature of God's love. Uh, I mean, from that moment on, I understood the conditional nature of God's love. It really baked in the idea that my goodness was directly linked to my sexuality and that any sexuality was the thing keeping me from being in God's favor. If I didn't masturbate, God loved me. If I did, he took that love away. The answer I got in church that day left me with the feeling that every time I slipped up and took myself to dinner, I had thrown (laughs) hot coffee in the face of the Almighty, tempting him to stop my heart and cast me into torment then and there. Mm. Now get this part, Jay. Mm. I think this one's hitting me today. So he talks about the youth minister. The youth minister was probably well-meaning, and he most likely Mm. jerked off all the time and felt really (laughs) bad about it, too. So I'm surprised how angry I still am at this guy. But this is what happens when unpaid adults sign up to help with Sunday school. Hmm. Up the street, people were literally protesting at my high school because some of the teachers didn't have master's degrees. Yet all the while, the mysteries of existence and the complexities of spiritual ethics were being taught to children by guilt-ridden volunteers, and no one gave a shit. So heavy. I mean, what's what's and here's the here's the delightful, tragic thing of this is that at some point in our lives, for for me later, later than I would have ever wanted, there's this 
something that at least has a sense of humor about it. And at least has this sense of like, oh my gosh, why did I ever think that? I would have to pray for, mm. pray for a, a, a wet dream. Well, somewhere along the way, I got it in my head through no, no fault of anybody else necessarily, but culturally to take in a message, a collective cultural message of something very akin to that, of feeling bad about jacking off, whatever, masturbation. And, and, and how, how do we get, it just seems a bridge too far to me to get to the point of that mm. God's love is so conditional yeah. that this is the thing that, that can take it away. Yeah. But I do remember knowing a girl in my youth group was having sex and thinking, oh, you like, there's no coming back from that one. Right on. Like you, right on. I think I would have had more grace for somebody who murdered someone in cold blood mm. in the middle of worship. Mm. Mm. There was something about that of, oh, you have been deflowered. Yeah. You're, it is gone. I can also remember that same young life guy telling us that he could pick out the girls. How gross is this? That he could pick out the girls in high school who had had sex because the luster was gone oh, from their eyes. Oh, no, 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 no. And I can remember walking around looking in girls' eyes, trying to see, luster. like, like it, are some of them sparklier than others? Like, really, <laughs> literally thinking that there would be... And, and how disgusting <laughs> that this grown man who uh, was married with three children yeah. is coming into the high school... Spread that shit. Spreading it, and also, like, judging... Judging uh, them by the yeah. eyes? The luster. You could take away the R-E or the E-R, depending on what you're <laughs> studying. And you got plenty of me in that. But that's, I think, every kid who's, like, forming in their own way. Yeah. No, and I, and I do remember. And look, I mean, some of my, it, it would be in the recollection of being uh, honest about this. I remember early on being introduced to a neighbor's hustler, maybe? I mean, one of those, not like Oh, I'm so glad Playboy, you said that. Right. And so this whole other level of visually seeing and I was probably seven or eight and uh, an older neighbor friend, uh, father, I'm guessing, make it so gendered again. Sorry, but parent had this magazine and I, I just remember to this day and that was a long time ago. And how um, I don't want to say pernicious in some way. Um, powerful, powerful, appealing, visually appealing. And the curiosity that happens, I think, I don't know, at age three, four, five, whatever, um, the curiosity about bodies, yeah. one, your own, our own bodies, and then others, in this case, again, as, you know, I can only speak in cisgendered straight terms, but um, how inquisitive it was and to feel like that needed to be slapped down or knocked down or caged up because the inquisitivity or the curiosity was also not Christ-like. The curiosity was not Christ-like. Right? You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. I absolutely know what you mean. That that it, it gets into this divorce of creativity and imagination. Yes. That all of those things are threatening to the system. Yes. We talked about this in the last episode with David Robinson Morris. Oh, wow. Of, but but really, mm. creativity and imagination and curiosity are all part of the creator. It's all part of this first story. Um, I was going to go there later, but let's go there now. I mean, I think part of part of what happens is where do you start with the story of the Bible? Mm. And if you are starting, we're getting in a Bible now. with the story. Well, when we can, we can we'll zigzag. Please um, come on. But so if you start with Genesis three, if that's your starting okay. point. Then you've got these first people and they've eaten some fruit they're not supposed to eat. And now they realize they're naked and they get some consequences or curses for their actions. And now the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He Mm. must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him Mm. from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Hmm. So if that's your starting point of what you think God's relationship to humanity is, then you get one story about curiosity and imagination and creation. I mean, this is curiosity was dangerous and imagination was 
really resulted in curse. And, but in all the Bibles I've had, there mm. are two chapters before Genesis right, 3. Right, right. And when we start with Genesis 1, I hear this playfulness to the poetry. Oh, yeah. You, the Hebrew scholar, could do a lot more mm. with that poetry than I can. But I, I can pick up these words and hear the play of let us make mankind in our image yeah. or humankind in our likeness so that they may rule over fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Yeah. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Mm. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Yeah. A little different, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think where we start and our understanding of what is God? What does it mean to be human? Yeah. What is the human connection to yeah. divinity? What is, what is divinity's connectionship to humankind? Yeah. If you're starting with curse and casting out. Yeah. And these people are dangerous yeah. and we've got to get them away from us. Yeah. Then, of course, all the teaching that follows is don't trust your instincts. Don't trust your imagination. Don't trust any of it because yeah. you're dangerous and you're so gross mm. that God can't even look on you. Yeah. You're so cast out and Banished so far markers, away. Yeah. When that's according to scripture, that's not the natural state of things. That's not that's not the imagined relationship between the divine and humanity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think what, what, you know, if we're I think we would agree in our interpretation of Genesis one, two, and three, that at least Genesis one, you have, you know, if you're going to go source theory, you have the priestly writer. Uh, I'm good with that. Right. I mean, but, but, but there we enter this idea of division that the, the Lord, uh, Adonai is separating the elements and dividing in such a way that there's it's the overturn of chaos with creation with creation god's creativity is is um front and center in genesis one then you have different authorship in genesis two the point is still the same right is that it's this idea of what is absolutely glorious about god's godness that is to be celebrated and also just to your point elizabeth this connection of humanity with divinity and divinity within humanity then in the mythopoetic structure of Torah, we, we get this Genesis 3, that there's consequence. There's consequence to notice sin is not mentioned yet. Yeah. Sin doesn't enter until Cain and Abel. Yeah. And it's centered upon, of all things, violence. Yeah. Please, as an American culture, let's center there a day after the fucking shooting yeah. in Nashville again. That's a whole other thing. It is a whole other thing and also... And related in some way, right? And also a lot of the folks who raised us are more upset that you just said fucking shooting than the fact that three nine-year-olds were killed yesterday. It's such a... It's so vain in, 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 in American civil religion. Which and they're much us, more concerned with the sexual identity of the children. Absolutely. Or that's hell, right, that's the right. gender identity of the shooter yes, even. That's... Amen to that. And I do think it's, it is tightly wound in this thing of... Either this sense of uh, shame uh, related to, you know, fill in the blank, uh, but holding out that notion that sin has not entered the garden, uh, rather this sense of um, disobedience, I guess we could say. But but I I can't help but stick on the the latter part of Genesis 3, where God in God's own care covers Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. uh, the man and woman, and violence is there that God covers with skin. And then we have this whole other um, sad thing that, that God resorts to to meet us where we are uh, as humanity goes. That said, I, I, I would not find in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 um, helpful sex ed conversations. Oh, yeah, right? sure. And, and, and sadly... We have heard this joke for far too long in my life and probably yours. Remember now, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, which yeah. is such bullshit yeah. because of the nature of how violent even that that reduced interpretation is. Yeah. That said, I, I do think there's something beautiful about, um, again, the connection of divinity to humanity, humanity to divinity, and also the nature of collaboration and partnership within creation. Now we yeah. have creation care. Yeah. Right. And that implies, at least implies, if not directly, points to how we care for our own bodies. 
and the body of our partner yeah and the partner for our body well and even so and 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 you're exactly right that genesis one and two different writers so you can't read them like they're two parts of the same story Uh, we both went to samford university and um i remember karen joins beloved old testament Uh, professor being um, always called into the president's office because some parent would complain after his his first lesson in the first semester of intro to old testament he would read genesis one he would read genesis two and then he would say now which one of these is true Mm, i love it boy the kids would just be all their ducks have been scrambled and they're not in a row anymore and they're calling the principal's office and now sanford oh jesus yeah well so we'll get there but um but it's it it seems to me that one of the greatest consequences of purity culture is the separation between who I really am in my fullness as a person yes. and how I present myself around these fine oh, religious good, yeah, people good. who I assume are, are actually living out all right. these principles. Right. And they've allegedly earned God's blessing right. while here I am secretly dirty and yeah. corrupt. Yeah. And um, when really the way that Genesis 1 and 2 go is not only God's creating and breathing life into these dirt creatures and right. inviting them to come be part of the creation and participate in naming and caring for. Good. But the, it, we also get at the end of Genesis 2, they were naked and they felt no shame. Yeah, there it is. Very specifically is. being named. Yeah. Yeah. That there's nothing about the actual created order of things right. that has shame in it. Yeah, yeah and, and even, no, I'm glad you went there because I think, you know, however else we interpret um, the origins of humankind, uh, this sense of the, the Torah writer uh, and the editorial team way after says, you know, this is an important place to start, that there is no shame. Now, I think that's that if that alone, if I could communicate that from the yeah. pulpit and to our confirmation class, that alone in our culture. Yeah. Now, now the fine line of commodification and other things exist too that we need to talk about as pastors yeah. about bodies and, you know, gay, straight, LGBTQ plus that there is still this ethic involved that is on one hand absolutely shameless yeah and also um, compassionate in our own to our own bodies and to the bodies of others yeah and so I think that's where that's it's a it's a wide swath there I do think that I was so as maybe a 16 year old tends to be no offense to 16 year olds I need to know the practice of what can I do yeah. without getting in trouble or feeling yeah. really shitty yeah. and what is okay to do. And that's where I think the, 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 the legwork, the, the boots on the ground, whatever yeah. our sexuality was. And for me to look around, like you said, Elizabeth earlier, and my friends who were having a lot of fun and they weren't necessarily fucking around or having sex, but they were having some fun. Yeah. And with what appeared to me to be really, I want to say now almost like robust curiosity with really no shred of shame. I was like in this damn cage of like, but wait a minute here. That's, oh, that's not where I am. Yeah. Help me get out. Well, and to even to figure out like, how do we talk about sexuality with healthy parameters yeah, and yes. and healthy, not, you know, not saying to your, to your kids, there are no rules. Everything yeah, goes. Exactly. You know, talking about consent and talking yes. about mutuality and talking yes. about respect, that requires adults yeah, who have figured that stuff out and how to talk about it without turning 40 shades of red. And talking about the luster in other young women's yeah. eyes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, you, so you've got to have adults yeah. and particularly faith leaders yeah. who can talk about. And, and I have I've usually been hesitant I was going to say reticent, hesitant, either which, either one, mm-hmm. to speak about this much in the pulpit. Sure. In part because usually the congregations where I preach are much older than I am. Yeah. Okay. And I'm very aware of the fact that I'm a woman. Mm. And there is something very different about a woman standing up to talk about sex. I can only Because imagine. now the mantle yeah. of horror has come out again. Wow. Right? Wow. Like if she's being sex positive, yeah. then wow, she's really DTF. She DTF, re- y'all. Yeah. So, but no, I've been, I can imagine. So but I've been hesitant imagine. about yeah, that. The, the, I, I, a female preacher friend of mine in North Carolina did a series that was called Good Sex, Bad Sex. Nice. And just talked about things really candidly. And mm. I have never felt like I was the one yeah. 
who can enter that conversation. Well, it, I mean, look, I, I, I applaud, and, and not knowing as, as, a, as a man, I very much appreciate and cannot fully imagine that what you just said and have had to face contextually, which is the better part of wisdom. And for me, the, the, there are scant touches in the pulpit, and sometimes they're related to pornography and this idea that there's a reason the porn industry is multi-billion dollars now, um, and this idea that I never heard from the pulpit either about a, a more robust sense of um, the particularly American uh, sins of greed and the injustice really <laughs> related to slavery and enslaved mm. people from how many hundreds of years ago, where clearly in our lifetime and in our background, there was this weird, unhealthy and unholy fascination with the binding of sexuality. Yeah. And I regret it deeply. Does it come from the Puritans? Can we blame somebody? <laughs> I, 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 would, I would like to. Um, so let's 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 jump back to so now we're teenagers who have been shaped by this cult, but it's really the culture that's all around us, and we're getting ready to go to college. So we're in another chapter with Pete now. This is called Open Dorm, the thing that you said that you didn't have when you were there. Not at Sanford, I remember. Of course, that was when it was still Howard College. We only had. You were not at Sanford <laughs> College. Oh I was, my gosh. I was um, not. But. <laughs> For, for us, open dorms only maybe was once a month, and it was on a weekend, okay. and it was only during daylight hours, or yeah. th- there were lots of rules around it. And Pete talks in this chapter too, again, Comedy Sex God yeah. by Pete Holmes, the guy who's <laughs> going to be our friend. Um, he talks about the, the ridiculous rules, and that at some point... <laughs> girls started just um, locking the door so that they could all watch a movie together. It was very innocent. It wasn't that they were even fooling around. It was just he would have to leave before the movie was over because open dorms would have ended. Oh, right, right. Um, And so I just remember there was a sign-in, sign-out process. So they knew if someone had come in. Okay. And if the the time ended, then they would know to come find them. Yeah. So anyway, okay, so Pete has gone to college. For the first time in my life, I was with hundreds of other people who were as fucked up about sex as I was, and it only further cemented my relationship between God and my ability to not have sex with myself or anyone else. <laughs> Instead of my beliefs being deprogrammed by a standard liberal arts sex positivity, they were normalized and enforced yes. by my school's administration. Yeah, yep. Even more than ever, being good still meant, for the most part, repression and denial That's of it. your base human urges, keeping your sexuality safely and ashamedly to yourself, But I knew there was another way around all this drama. It was well known in our community that if you wanted to have sex and stay on God's good side, there was one simple solution. You got married. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, you did. And so that was the expectation at Samford is that we are pairing up. We are finding our mates. Our prefrontal cortexes have not finished forming and will not perhaps even until we've already reproduced. How old were you when your first child was born? 26. Yeah. So it's about, about 25, 26, yeah. they say, these yeah. neuroscientist people, that the prefrontal cortex is, is finished its formation. Yes. And so I was already married two, three years at that point. Yes. Um, and remember feeling like I was one of the late ones getting married because I knew people who were well, getting married. In your sorority. Yeah. Your sorority, like right? in junior sure. year, there was one who got married and she yeah. they went on honeymoon on their spring break. And they called back and we all sat around on speakerphone so that she could tell us what sex was like. Oh, and wow. she was disappointed. And she's like, well, I can't really tell you because we haven't technically done it yet. Which gets to some of what you were saying earlier around how now, because you've got a ring on your finger, are you suddenly well-formed yeah. and well-prepared? And yeah. you, you've been told, don't know your own body. Certainly don't know anybody else's body. Don't let somebody else know your body. Yeah. And then all and then, of a sudden. Within a hour s- swing. That's right. right? Yeah. Now you're uh, supposed to have all of this stuff figured out. No, it's, it's right on. Yeah, it is a, it's a, it's a, uh, an impoverished cultural conditioning based on Bible. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, as I tear up earlier, it's, it's, it's remembering formation and malformation that I allowed. Because uh, when you said, you know, who could we blame? I, I've thought about that, Elizabeth, for about the greater part of 20 years. Mm. And I, it's me, it is I, who have to deal with my own poor decisions along the way. 
related to sexuality. And finally, I hope, at 52, coming to a place that I feel better about uh, a faithful, fruitful, sexual yeah. image, if you will, sexual uh, being. Um, that's that's taken a while. And it's going to take some more time, I mean, if we're being honest, I'm sure. Sure, right? absolutely. And I think, I think in some ways why I wanted to have this conversation is also – there's so much talk about deconstructing and who's deconstructing yeah, yeah, or who's yeah. just leaving religion and not not even going to deal with it. Right. Um, there, there are not enough people saying, I'm 45, I'm 52, this stuff is still in me. Yeah. And I'm shocked when it comes up. Right. And I'm shocked when right. my kids figure out that their father and I have had sex more than two times. <laughs> and <laughs> Wait, they're what? horrified by yeah. it. And they think it's just disgusting. <laughs> and then I'm terrified that they think I'm disgusting. Mm. Oh, my. That's and powerful. I can't believe that that's in me. Yeah. And it is. And it is. I'll Still it, that voice. See it in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I look as You in, saw that the lack of luster was in I, my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't seeing that. We were both teared up a little bit. I know. Yeah, I mean, because look, I mean, the the uh, chaotic decisions I've made uh, in the past related to sex, yeah, um, and and what harm I've caused uh, myself, and more importantly, my family. Well, right? and I I hear that, and I know that you're right about us needing to own our mistakes that we yeah. that we consciously made yes. e- whether or not we were malformed by a culture Fair. we made choices yes and also we were malformed by a culture yeah um, it's a both and it's both yeah. of those things um and so it how mm. if a child is physically abused mm-hmm. for the majority of their 18 mm-hmm. years in a home yeah it doesn't surprise us that right. without therapy and interventions and support structures that that person then becomes an abusive adult, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's both of those things. At some point, you are an adult who needs to be responsible for your actions, and you do the therapy, and you show up, right. and you find the supports, and you do the work. Preach it. Um, yep. Yep. But it still doesn't make it okay. No, that's right. That's, that's well said. And I, and I think that's where, you know, to, to this idea of hurry up and find find your spouse. Yeah. You know, there are more than a few folks we could talk to, uh, mostly in the South, and to make it geographically specific, but who have also, in the air we breathe, was this um, less than helpful, less than holy, let me say again, um, hard edge about sexuality. And... Um, I, I, you know, you're, you're going you're to pay for it. You said it earlier, repression. Um, there, the vents will come. Yeah. We, we will vent. Um, and I think that's what's uh, horrific about the situation. I'm, I'm reminded, it's a Dominican tradition, but it applies to us all, is look, I mean, all of our faith, all of religion is unlearning. Meister Eckhart, I think, said that. And so, yeah, that's that's certainly true. And to be able to say it out loud, it's Nadia Bolzweber who says something like, look, the more I look in Scripture, I don't know that there's much more than love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. Whether God wants us to be good or bad, God wants us to be honest. Mm. Can we just be open? Yeah. And, and to find those communities where we can be. And I'd grant you that once you get outside of about 10 or 15 people, that's probably too big. Yeah. But... Here's to different sized churches too, um, but yeah, I'm going to different places. I think that the the idea of a we've touched imagination and curiosity. Yeah. Um, I, I I think about my kids now um, at 26 and almost 24, and I think they have had overall a, a healthier perspective, and that's in large part to their mom who who's done a great job, I think, uh, and I hope to me in some way, but to be at least this, not driven by guilt and shame. Yeah. Right? We've, I, we have probably talked about it so much that if anything happens in a TV show or movie that we're watching as a family that is some mm. sort of, like, reference to, like, we love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and so anytime mm. there would be reference to a sex tape, that was one of the running jokes, is title of your sex tape. Like, that's what she said. <laughs> so, title of your sex tape. I would always pause it and be like, now we know. Oh, wow. That 
it is not appropriate or wise to be making recordings of ourselves. And then I turn into like the junior league mom. So now when any time something comes up, the kids are like, okay, mom, we get it. We do not need to talk about sex right now. But my, my hope has been that, that at each age I've talked about bodies appropriately. Yeah, yeah, appropriately. So that they know. I love that. I, I'm it. here for it. Yeah, it might be weird to yeah. talk to your mom about stuff, but I, but, but I do I do I do think that there is something to <clears throat> thinking about this preparing for the conversation, Elizabeth. Is that even to the point of whatever felt good to my body, mm-hmm. really way deep into my twenties was was um, caught with some suspicion and this sense of wait, am I am I transgressing here? Yeah, because I am you know sort of physically arouse and whether that's like literally or even figuratively it was always with this suspicion and this sense of that must not be from the lord Mm. that must be more about me and i wasn't well versed in satan and that satan was a demigod like we get in some cultural circles or evangelical circles but rather it was me and my my lack of holiness um so I, i say that because i do think that even the nature of pleasure and feeling good, and in this case, sharing the feeling of, oh, that's pleasurable, was really, for far too long, something that I did not even embrace, but with some distance wanted yeah. to, and that's kind of embarrassing when you're a 29-year-old married guy. Yeah. Well, and it, to me, that sounds a lot like when, when oh, we could talk about this for like five hours. Um, another trend I remember late in college so this would have been 98, maybe. Okay. Um, so at this point, Josh Harris has kissed dating goodbye. And we've moved past yeah, that. Yeah. But now everybody's talking about being homesick for heaven. Oh, and Lord. are you homesick? Oh, and, and that if you're not in this perpetual state of homesickness oh, wow. for this place that's going to be so good, then mm. you're not a, a real Christian. Wow. Super twisted. But, but the teaching in that is that there is no joy in this life. Right. There is no pleasure in this life. Privation. There is yeah. there is a lot of shame and stuff that we need to repent for. Yes. But the anything that is good and yeah. honorable and true, yeah. it's gonna be in another life. It's yeah. it's it's in a time to come. Yep. And I look at the teaching of Jesus and how little he had to say about a time to come. Yeah. Like don't worry about that. Like this I is- Present reality. Yeah, right? what we're talking about is the here and now, the kingdom yeah. of heaven coming here. Yeah, um, and and in partnership with Jesus, um, forming that place and time. Well, and that's not even to get into the whole concept of incarnation. Why bother with a body if bodies don't matter? Yeah, I mean, what's the na- the nature of Gnosticism anyway? Yeah. I, I lived for many years in Gnostic relationship. Sure, feeling bad about bodies and my own. Um, in, in relationship with my wife, my first wife. Yeah. And so that notion of, uh, again, it's a deep and abiding shame. And to, to work through that or continue to work through that is the, is the path. So we kind of touched on this already. You and I are both still very much in it when it comes to Christian religion and church life. Um, and we're both, I think, striving to shape more authentic truth-telling, healthy mm. spaces where authentic, exp- expansive spirituality can flourish. Yes. Um, so that brings me to this this final quote I'll share okay. from Nadia Bowles-Weber's book, Shameless. Oh, man. And this is in her intro. It doesn't feel very difficult to draw a direct line between the messages many of us received from the church and the harm we've experienced in our bodies and spirits as a result. Yes. So my argument in this book is this. We should not be more loyal to to an idea, a doctrine, or an interpretation of a Bible verse than we are to people. Mm. If the teachings of the church are harming the bodies and spirits of people, yeah. we should rethink those teachings. I mean, how like Jesus is that? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm a fan of Nadia Bolzweber. Um, that aside, that seems like a vigorous, rigorous honest incarnational theology of which Jesus showed us. Yeah, you've heard it said, but I say. Exactly, exactly right. And you said it earlier, I think, this idea of what is provocative about, in this case, Christian religion, whatever denominational persuasion or flavor, is body. We are embodied, and this flesh is beautiful. 
then this flesh is fragile and it's resilient and it's loved. Yeah. It's loved. It's loved. And it's, it's been loved. called very good from the very beginning. Right? So at every communion or Lord's Supper, Eucharist, there we are again with a body and how beautiful and precious and loved we come back to and very good it is. And all the more then to be careful mm-hmm. about our sexuality. And as you said earlier, Elizabeth, you know, look, I mean, Jesus was clear that licentiousness or promiscuity or effing around is not cool. And other than that, I mean, there's a wide berth there. And I wasn't taught that. Yeah. And, and I was mired down and, and chose to continue to mire down in what was not, frankly, not biblical. You're bringing to mind Mark Biddle's work on sin. He has this mm. really thick, huge book on wow. sin that he wow. wrote. And I, he was one of my professors in seminary. And I remember when he was working on it. And, that's my um, autobiography on sin. That's Wait, right. No, okay, so. well, either he was working on it then or he was telling us about when he had been working on it. And he told his dad, I'm writing a book on sin. And his dad said, don't. And that should be the whole book. <laughs> but but he... <laughs> don't. Don't. That's it. Don't sin. But um, instead, he wrote lots of words about sin. And he kind of put like a high bar and a low bar of yeah. the high bar of sin is when we are overreaching our humanity yeah. and putting in our ourselves in the place of God uh, yeah. and believing we ourselves are in control of it all, spinning right. it all by our own, our own force. That sounds a lot like my own anxiety disorder. Mm. Or <laughs> that, that we are functioning beneath our humanity oh, or... Yeah. Treating and facing those around us as being beneath the fullness of their Mm. humanity, too. Mm. And I I think that that reframing is so healthy that it's, to me, it's not about being dirty or impure or needing to earn God's favor. It's about finding that space between to be fully human. Yeah. And for there to be a lot of grace when you've gone a little too far above, a little too far below. I love that image. And a lot of grace. Uh, yeah. Yes. And why did it take me until age 45 to enter into a space that was more honest about uh, grace? Yeah. And what is pervasive in the in the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. In the ministry of Jesus. Uh, other than to, well, people like us who were the religious experts who were assholes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so maybe that's some of where our work lies now, is that we get to extend grace to ourselves, yes. to each other. Yes. And then to the people we love in our congregations. God help us. Thanks for doing this, Jay. Thank you for making me cry. <laughs> that's not hard to do. That's, you're, I feel like you're always at the edge, like you're one Hallmark movie away. All right. Love you no, very one, much. Love you too. Thank you.